0: Come, spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Roland Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I'm your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. And uh, tonight I am very excited to have uh, our, our guest on. Uh, he's a guy that I really got to know this year at North Texas RPG Convention. He's a phenomenal artist and, uh, you know, a real uh, firecracker as far as, uh, you know, having a one-on-one conversation with him. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk uh, with Keelan Halverson, a.k.a. The Wonky, tonight. Uh, before I bring Keelan on, though, I want to remind everyone... Uh, that if you enjoy what you're seeing here on Rollin' Bones, please like, share, and subscribe so that you know when we are going live, when I've released a new video like the one that I released about my RPG journey on Monday. I have uh, been overwhelmed by the response to that video. I'm glad that you guys really enjoyed that, uh, audio issues aside. Uh, So maybe, you know, more content like that in that style in the future. We'll see kind of how things shake out. I also want to remind everyone that you can find me on uh, these various platforms down here on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. On YouTube, I am Roland Bones. And at Twitch, I am twitch.tv slash Roland Bones Ryan. And also on Substack. It is rollandbones.substack.com. I will go ahead and drop that link right here in the chat for you guys who are not already subscribed. And that will be pinned in the comment beneath this stream after the fact, for those of you who watch this after it's done. And uh, real quick, just want to uh, show everybody what I've been working on over on Substack real quick. I will uh, bring that up right there. Here we go. So I recently did a a piece on what makes good RPG art kind of in preparation for my conversation with Keelan tonight. And uh, you know, I've got some great stuff about pirates in RPGs. Uh, commitment to RPGs, running a Bronstein-type campaign in, in an Old West setting, and I will be migrating my old Twitter threads over to Substack for premium subscribers. And lastly, I want to uh, remind everyone that we are on Tee Public, including two new designs, the I-just-want-to-grill-and-game shirt. Uh, you know, I'm super excited about these guys. I, I hope you will... Uh, uh, enjoy that design as much as I do. Uh, as Keelan was saying before we started tonight, it is a, it's very tattooable. So uh, if that is your speed, if you like that kind of design, uh, definitely, definitely uh, go for it. And there is the link here in chat. I will, uh, you know, drop that link again in a pinned comment beneath this video after the fact. So that's enough of my nonsense for right now. Uh, let me go ahead get this off the screen let's bring on the guy that you guys are all here to see uh once again he is also known as the wonky uh he is a great rpg artist you can find his stuff in uh setter books in planet x books and so many more books uh the one and only all the way from alaska ladies and gentlemen keelan halverson
1: hello everybody thank you so much for having me here ryan it is an honor and a pleasure and i am so excited for this conversation oh, this no is gonna problem, be fun man.
0: Man, I'm excited for this one, too. I knew, as soon as I talked with you this year at North Texas, I was like, okay, this this needs to happen on Rolling Bones at some point.
1: I'm so happy it is, too, honestly. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to it all week, honestly. I'm a little nervous. I'm typically not too out there and foregoing with myself, but no, this is going to be killer. I'm down. Sweet. (laughs) Well, indeed.
0: Let's kick this off the way that we kick off every show here on Rolling Bones, I've got a couple of questions everyone gets asked when they uh, step through the door for the first time. So, oh, Dylan, how did you get started playing role playing?
1: Ooh, that is a, a, a sad story, actually. So I grew up a Warhammer kid, and I had no one to play with. So I ended up with a large miniatures collections that I ended up acquiring throughout, you know, from ages maybe like six years old up until 14, and I ended up just collecting and collecting, and I was so adjacent to the role-playing game uh, sphere, but I never really had dipped my toes into it. And then one of our local bookshops ended up having these uh these fancy little f- fourth edition books on their shelves at like half price. And I was like, oh, these are filled with cool art. I'm sure I can do something with it. Uh, one of my buddies ended up coming over and we were flipping through it and we were like, we should actually try running this. And I was like, ah, finally something I can use my collection for. Yes, let's do this. Um, and so I didn't read the rule books. I kind of watched, I don't know, like two YouTube videos. And I was like, I understand what I'm doing now. Let's learn to play. And yeah, kind of all just escalated from there and became this weird obsessive hobby that that's consumed my entire existence.
0: <laughs> now, now I do have to ask, because I had some mm. origin story myself, Warhammer Fantasy or Warhammer 40k?
1: Um, I started with 40k, um, but quickly, so I kind of jumped around the entire Games Workshop sphere, so I guess it gotcha. really started with the Middle Earth Strategy Battle game, um, back when it was Lord of the Rings, um, and then I ended up just with some random models from that. Um, then it was the battle from a crag box set. I think that was fourth or fifth, ed- fourth edition Warhammer 40K. And that's when I really got into things and then pretty much instantly was like, oh, fantasy, this is great too. And so I didn't really have anyone to play with though. So this was just me as some weirdo little kid just playing with myself in my room, like on my carpet, you know, I was, I was doing the like stacks of books and the soda cans and, you know, sloppy little paint jobs, that kind of a thing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, so uh,
0: I I started with 40k. Uh, I got I had a friend get me into 40k. And I actually had a pretty active community uh, that I was a part of. But when you're 14, uh, being competitive in Warhammer 40k uh, is, is more money than a 14 year old will ever see. So
1: Thankfully, I didn't have a community to worry about that with. It was kind of just me. And, you know, occasionally I would be able to, like, after school on Fridays, rope one of my friends in and we'd try and play a little game. And then, you know, didn't really get anywhere with it. But it, it was fun. You know, I love it.
0: <laughs> so the, the next question here, those of us who devote a lot of time to role playing games. I find that we... We're in this because we love the game and we love the game because of fond memories we have of playing it. So if you had to pick like a fondest RPG memory, one that continuously drives you back to the table, what would that be?
1: Okay, so I have a really good childhood friend uh, named Roy, and he was introduced to role playing uh, in one of my groups. I kind of brought him and another couple friends in, um, and he was the lone survivor, I think, is what ended up happening. I was running Barrow Maze as kind of a starter game for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um and basically i think everyone ended up abandoning him or he ended up alone and regardless he ended up just crawling out of this tomb by himself after almost like a half hour of solo play with this crown melted to his head crawling up the stairs (sighs) one by one his hand was peeled backwards like it, it was a gnarly nasty scene and it was just like oh this is what it's about because he had this just shit-eating grin across his face. He was so happy. Like, I did it. I survived. And that's what it's about. He went in. He got the loot. He extracted it and came out so much worse for wear. But he did it. And that's honestly the heart of the game to me. I'm very horror-adjacent in my games. So, hmm. yeah. Kind of goes hand-in-hand. Hand. I'd have to say that. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Now... You are uh, part of a very uh, unique group of people in that you are uh, part of the Alaska contingent alongside uh, James Shields, even though uh, I believe there's like, what, 150 miles between you guys or something like that?
1: Yeah. So he's in, in real scary Alaska. I'm in Island country. So if you kind of like shape your hand like that, this is kind of like Alaska. Jay, Jay's up here in like big, scary Alaska land. I'm down hmm. here in Island country closer to like Seattle. It's, uh, think of Lake town with iPhones. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But it, like you
0: were telling me before, uh, the show started, you, you were born and raised in Alaska yeah. and, um, Experiencing what I've experienced trying to get gamers together in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is kind of a major metropolitan area, um, it was hard for me. I can only imagine it was even harder for you. So so tell me a little bit about the experience of kind of being a a burgeoning gamer in essentially a remote area of the country.
1: Oh, it's all about persistence, perseverance, and dedication to what you love at the end of the day. I mean, it's hard enough with scheduling and as things go, but on the other hand, I come from one of the rainiest places in Alaska, or not Alaska, in the United States. So there's a lot of downtime where people would just be, you know, sitting around on their couch watching TV, that kind of a thing. So there is that natural incentive. Um, we don't really have a huge population here. I think in the wintertime, it's around 8,000 people spread about 40 miles of island. Uh, and then in summer, it booms up to about 20,000. But that's mostly seasonal work, that kind of a thing. Um, so I guess trying to get a group, it's a lot of locals and returning people that you just kind of know and hey, hey, um, I imagine it would be a lot like starting a group anywhere, just with a much smaller pool of people to pick from. But it's also kind of one of those towns where you have to know everybody, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if that answered your question very well. I get sidetracked pretty easy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, like, I I, I see what you're saying. And I think, um, even though geographically, it would be kind of a different scenario. I think anyone who grew up in kind of a rural area would have a similar experience. I know like, you know, Levi Combs grew up in Mina, Arkansas. I'm sure he had kind of a similar uh, path to trying to find games. And, you know, I, there's a bunch of people who didn't grow up in major metropolitan areas who struggled to pull groups together. So I I think that's something that uh, a lot of people can relate to even you know, even though you are one of three people I know who live in Alaska.
1: So that's fair enough. And I think, I guess, to further expand upon your question is. Um, if I want to game, it all falls on me. You know, I didn't really have that big group of other peer DMs or, you know, I don't really know of many other D D groups that are going on. If I want a terrain set, I'm the one who has to build it. I have to, you know, sponsor and learn the rules. Cause like, you know, DMing's a lot of effort and hard work and that kind of a stuff. And it's just even more so when it's like, you're the linchpin person that keeps, the entire ecosystem running but you know i'm willing to make those sacrifices for what i love Mm -hmm. absolutely
0: now here here's a question maybe you might not be expecting but this is something i think about a lot Mm -hmm. you know we, we know the kind of negatives of having a small population pool to pull from for your games but on the positive side of things you are in an area that I mean, like you said, is The Last Frontier. There's literally an island filled with bears that will murder you. Yes. What does that kind of thing do to your imagination as a creator and a game master? Like Everything. Does... It, is,
1: it is the, I guess, one foundational column that has basically inspired my entire career in gaming and everything else. Um... So one thing, I guess, kind of looking back to our last question and tying these two together is the one great thing about being so local in a weird, remote, you know, isolated location is we kind of all have that shared experience of if like my window looking out my art studio right there. There is seven hexes of mountains and wilderness. There isn't anything else. I can walk that way for days on end and not encounter anything besides bears and rough terrain and muskegs and, you know, all sorts of horrors. Like I was almost eaten by wolves this last winter. I was out shoveling snow in the middle, you know, and just look up and there's a pack of funny looking dogs running through my yard and one stops and comes <laughs> snarling at me and like half charges and I'm sitting there with a snow shovel acting like Tarzan, like, <laughs> you know, it would. Like, it's an entirely different experience, and Though my parents don't share a lot of the same nerdy proclivities as I do, um, they're really big into outdoorsy stuff like uh, you know boating, camping, ex- exploration. You know, I've been to the majority of the mountain peaks in my district. I know what it's like to climb and lose nails. Um, I've been you know out hiking with friends and have had rocks drop on me and fallen down cliffs. I like I live the life of an adventurer, and I think that's where the majority of my inspiration comes from. I like to go out. And and find weird places and old treasures. Alaska has a lot of history. This is ancient land, you know? You will find old village remains in the middle of nowhere, completely covered over by moss, you know? Uh, Old burial boxes and trinkets and all sorts of weird shit everywhere, you know? Like, it's a wild world if you're just willing to kind of go and struggle and look for it. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, a lot of my inspiration. It's also scary, which probably explains my obsession with horror.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the history aspect alone, I mean, I get like, depending on your view of history, there's this, you know, it's possible that every single native American that lived in, uh, North and South America had to pass through Alaska. If you believe in the, the Bering land bridge theory of history. So just like the sheer number of people that had to pass through Alaska and you know what they left behind, what could be found out there, you know, inexplicable things that have been lost to time in history, just lying in desolate mountains or in the middle of a tundra somewhere this is the kind like this is what adventurers would live for and this is the kind of thing that drive uh, game designers and and game masters crazy are these exactly. lost secrets
1: exactly and i i feel almost a little bit spoiled in my upbringing because of that because my love for fantasy adventure was brought about by my love of real adventure like you know mm-hmm. uh for like the longest time you know i would just spend days and weeks on end out exploring the wilderness with my buddies you know and we didn't do it smart we pretended to be fantasy adventurers so we would have as much leather clothing as we could have we'd always have swords and you know things like that on us and we would we would live the life and you know for better or worse we're a bunch of weirdos but beyond that <laughs>
0: Uh DM James here in Harlan Kentucky we have actual goblins and hyper aggressive meth addicts. Uh, I do not know you live in justified country uh, DM James. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a lot of potential XP right there. I mean, Absolutely. <laughs> that's another thing. Okay, people don't believe me, and this is like my own personal, I don't want to call it a conspiracy, but there's people in those woods. There's nothing scarier on Earth than seeing people where there shouldn't be. Maybe they're just roving mountain men, meth heads, who knows what. But there are people out in the wilderness, and that is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and some of them prefer to be out there.
1: Most people don't hang out in swamps, but like, I don't don't know where else to go with that statement. It's just, it's not comfortable when you're out, like, you know, five hexes away from any civilization. And then you see a man looking at you from like, I don't know, half a valley away. Like, oh, why are you watching me, bud? I'm just trying to climb around. (laughs) Yeah. I,
0: um like you said, not many people choose to be in, in these areas, but you know, the you, you think about the handful that do. I mean, like we've all seen that show Alaskan Bush People on the History Channel. We've all heard Jewel talk about her father and stuff like that. There there's this very small percentage of people who are just like, No, I'm fine out here. This you know, I I prefer it.
1: And Imagine crossing
0: out. one of those people, making one of them angry.
1: Definitely. No, and that's, you bring up a really good point. So Alaskan bush people are kind of notorious. Um, They filmed a lot of their show outside of our hometown actually they were i think on prince of wales right on over um they're kind of notorious jerks f- to our local community acting like rock stars and that kind of a thing um we even have a very popular local t-shirt with i don't i've only watched an episode or two but it says don't worship false alaskans and it has a picture of the entire family they're not real i'm sorry to yeah. break it to you like there's Actual people like that out there. But that's Mm -hmm. Hollywood. Um, But it gets the gist of it. Like, if you've watched the show, you get it. I mean, you know, it's just those guys are phony baloney. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) Doom upon the bush people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... know we've talked about your background as a gamer and how you know your environment has influenced you but in addition to that you're also an artist and i'm going to bring up some of your work here while we talk a little bit about art um and as i'm doing this uh why don't you kind of fill people in on how you got started uh you know as an artist you know what what was it that you that kind of got you drawing and and making art to begin with
1: Yeah. So, um, a lot of the times people respond to questions like this, like I've always done it. I was that kid always drawing in class. That wasn't me. I mean, I have had an artsy background in the sense that I was a Warhammer kid. I was painting miniature models and that kind of a thing, but I didn't start drawing until I was 18 or 19. And that actually came about because of a young life crisis. Um, when I was 18, I was really eager and excited to move away from Alaska, you know, getting out of the nest, that kind of a thing. Went down to Denver, Colorado and became a, or I was going to become a hairstylist. I went to Paul Mitchell school of cosmetology. Um, and then I dropped out about a hundred hours before I graduated because I just, my heart wasn't in it. And I knew, and I kind of went on a, a, a doom spiral for a minute. And like, what am I doing with my life then? Cause I don't really have any kind of plans. And like, you know, I was, I was just this weird nerdy kid. Um, and it was like, well, if I could do anything, I I've always, been racked with daydreams and these visions of fantasy throughout my entire existence and I really have always felt that I have something meaningful to contribute to the genre and I I've never been good at academics or writing and even though I love reading and that kind of stuff but I I've, I'm very visual pictorial based person and so i i decided i'm gonna learn art and i'm probably not going to be good at it but you know it's what i want to do and i'm going to try and so i started diddling around with art um just you know sketchbooks and drawing and i got a wood burning tool and i started making fun little you know do-it-yourself arts and crafts mandala kind of things um And it's just over time things became more and more serious. And then I took a little break actually a couple of years ago and uh, because I just didn't feel like I was able to ever do it. I'm never gonna be a Larry Elmore or an Easley or an Otis, you know, I'm never gonna be like those greats. And so I I almost gave up on myself for a little while before coming back to it with vigor and seriousness. And now I'm ready to kill, kill. I don't know uh, if that answered your question. Sorry, I'm very Absolutely. early exactly. <laughs> Just uh, don't know how much
0: of a uh, don't know how much of a Frankie Avalon aficionado you are, but we have a beauty Money school dropout f- here in chat from uh, DM James. That's a me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Malachi. Better than getting rejected by an art school.
1: <laughs> that's fair enough. Honestly, that's a uh, I cowardice had run deep in my bones for a long time I probably would have tried to go to art school honestly I like I've I've known I've loved art for a long time but there's just I also didn't come from a background where that was necessarily an encouraged path I guess I kind of had to discover that for myself
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh high praise from the great Jim Wampler here you're this generation's Errol Otis
1: I appreciate you Jim Jim is uh, one of my favorite people. If I could say anyone on Earth is my mentor and highest figure. I love Jim Wampler to death. He's one of my favorite people that's ever walked Earth. Jim is absolutely a great guy and a great creator. He is. He's helped me out in so many ways throughout my years. Being an art mentor, life advice, a good friend. Jim is the most genuine person I've ever met. Nothing Mm -hmm. but the highest of praise for that man. (laughs)
0: And uh, just as an example of some of your art here, I mean, I scrolled through while while you were uh, going through your story. But l- let's start with this piece right here. This is uh, the cover piece from uh, *Pace Setters* Dungeon Module TB1, "Things Better Left Alone." And um, I mean, I think Rex Teal says it all uh, right here in in chat. Uh, your art looks like it's up there for with the greats. Uh, this, this like, this is incredible.
1: Little, little tear going actually. Okay. Uh, thank you. Yeah, no, I was super passionate about this project because like I, I was a weird little Alaskan kid and, uh, H.P. Lovecraft's works kind of got me through my emo days throughout high school. Like, I was a weirdo. Like, let's not mince words. I'm a crazy dude. I was standing in the ocean at midnight reading the story (laughs) Dagon. Like, I'm that weirdo. So when I had a a Lovecraft-inspired, you know, Dagon module going on, I was like, yes, I can finally do justice to some of my, like, real imaginative roots. And, yeah, I I had so much fun working on that piece. I really love. And, honestly, it's a good adventure, too. Like, really, really fun dungeon crawl.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you guys know that I like setter on here. Bill Barsh has been on. Ben Barsh has been on. Um, Definitely pick this one up
1: i 'm a ride or die pay setter for life man <laughs> uh, they are pretty much the only reason I have a career they believed in me before anyone else I they were my first real I think commission art gig for an RPG book or anything I've been in all of their projects since reaping at River's end uh Ben is my my hero I' stumbling over words but one of my favorite people and then only really kind of recently getting to know bill better but man that man is cool he runs a good game too
0: (laughs) i need to get in on one of his games sometime
1: my wife uh she's a very very serious role player she she takes her dice rolling seriously and she has nothing but the highest appraises for bill's game
0: we have another piece here. This is uh, is the cover to the IPU's zine for this year's North Texas. Um, And again, you you can see the Lovecraft here. Um, This is so cool. I love this. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Okay. I was so worried about that piece because it was like, I I had a bunch of things on my plate and they needed a cover and they were kind of just like, Keelan, do a cover for us. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And it just had to be Texas related. And I'm Alaskan. You don't get less Texas than Alaska besides, you know, we're we're the big states. That's about the only commonalities. Um, My only like experiences of desert are driving through it, you know. Um, So I was like, okay, what do I think about when I think of Texas? And I was like, uh, I don't know, rattlesnakes. And I think catfish I don't I don't know pigs and <laughs> bats I, I really don't know much about and I was just, just kind of sitting there and I went into this deep daydreaming mode I went on a walk in the woods like what is Texas about and this kind of image started like swirling in my mind and this is how we ended up with that bad boy
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean like I I love the I I love the rattlesnake sea monster combo here it, it's great and i i also love the kind of uh cothonification of the uh, the north texas dragon as well
1: very much so <laughs> it's uh it's a hideous monster i don't i wouldn't want to encounter that in some kind of nasty beastie <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Uh, a a chat here from from twitch uh don't get many of those very often but uh what is texas truly shall man ever truly know um no honestly um texas is just so different and so unique in its own strange way that like i I don't know I think there's a reason why there's so much, like, RPG stuff going on there. I think there are certain, uh, like, locuses of RPG creativity, and I think Texas is one of them.
1: I love Texas. I've only been there for North Texas Gaming Convention, but Mm -hmm. I love it there. It's kind of like my one trip to Disneyland a year, and it's (laughs) nice to see real sun, you know? It's a wonderful thing. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And then uh, I really like this piece too. Um, Thank you. I, it, I don't know. W- was this ever published, or is this just kind of like a, a piece that you did? Your
1: that's your just. Um, I. I'm trying to do more work for myself, just for fun, you know, because I have a very <laughs> active imagination, and this is one of those things where I was granted one of my weirdo visions. And I was like, you know what? This one actually deserves to become a piece. And so I decided to take like a week to myself and actually work it out. Um, I have turned it into like, I have a little player's packet of like my own hack of the DCC MCC rule. So I did nothing. I'm publishing nothing like that. Um, but, you know, just for my home table. And so I used that as the cover and added some trippy font to it, that kind of a thing. But nice. as far as publishing, no, not really. It's just a fun little image.
0: <laughs> it's, I don't know. I'm going to zoom in on this real quick. I don't know how well this is going to show up. Um, Actually, pretty well. Okay, that's good. Because I like the I I like the cyclical nature of this piece. I like the volcanic eruption to uh, post-apocalyptic destruction. It looks like over here. This is a really cool, um, really cool kind of like timeline piece. I I really like this.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's kind of exactly what it is, too, is I really like the idea of the rise and fall of civilizations and this kind of just endless cycle, you know, and it's a, it's a fun idea of, you know, going in from nature to technology and kind of background. Again, um, I have this kind of theory um It's not really a theory, but, you know, I live out in this rainforest here, and basically the entire thing is one great cannibal engine, as I like to call it. We don't have a lot of topsoil here on the island. The only plants growing are growing out of other dead plants. And so I like to kind of just play around with that idea in my mind and wonder how far that expands, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And then uh, this piece is great as well. Again, like there's, there's lots of cool uh, Lovecraft. I, I do have to ask, uh, are you at all a fan of H.R. Geiger?
1: I am a huge fan of H.R. Geiger, absolutely. Gotcha. He is, uh, I would say, one of my probably f- top five... Influences. I feel a lot of relatability to him, um, mm-hmm. in a sense. Like I'm a lot less pervy, but beyond, <laughs> that, you know, let's just say it. I mean, it was a perv, but I love oh, yeah. him so deeply. Um, I think he really encapsulates a lot of fear in a true and genuine way. I really like his. This is the styling. Yeah, huge fan mm-hmm. of Geiger.
0: Because this is the piece. Like this piece, when I saw it, kind of reminded me the most of geiger of the pieces that i saw here that like this is very especially like this part down here and i'm weirdly gonna circle around this dude's nipples but that's fair there's
1: nipples (laughs) uh yeah no he's a major influence on me um we back when i was talking about you know in my my reading Lovecraft in the ocean like a weirdo days. I was also looking at Geiger books a lot. Uh, Strangely enough, my art teacher in high school, so like I didn't do drawing or painting really or anything of that nature. Um, I was actually bringing like Warhammer models to school and painting them in class, that kind of a thing, because I didn't really care about grades. But she was trying to really get me into actual like fine arts and these kind of things. And she was like, okay, I'm not actually allowed to have this here, but here, and brought out a book of geiger and was like you should read this and oh hey this is great i get it and Mm -hmm. that's the thing with hr geiger's work is i feel like a weird relatability like i get that mindset of kind of doom Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) yeah and there's something um and and i know like there was probably a lot of influence from lovecraft to geiger but there is something that both of them encapsulate of that which you are not allowed to know, that which you were not allowed to see. And when yes. you, the, like the strength of Geiger, Lovecraft could paint a very vivid picture with his words, but Geiger painted an actual picture. Mm-hmm. So you were looking at what this man's kind of twisted imagination showed you as things that should not be seen. And when you look at stuff like that, you can't look away.
1: That was beautiful. The things that should not be seen. I want that on my tombstone. That's <laughs> beautiful. Oh, that's the juiciest thing I've heard this week, Ryan. <laughs> like I'm writing that down after this. That's going like on the wall. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it really encapsulates a lot of. I don't know. I don't want to say taboo, but I guess that kind of fits the bill. <laughs> well, yeah, it's
0: um now now i completely lost it. it's transgressive that's like that's kind of the really the hook of of geiger is you know again like the, this is something that shatters every kind of preconceived notion of decency when you look at it it's Absolutely. it's inhumanly indecent and because it's so alien and so foreign and so gross there's something that kind of draws you into it. And, it really is. And, you know, I, as someone who is very, like, very much a religious person, it's not a place I like to live a lot, but it's something I understand. It's the allure of this kind of forbidden knowledge or forbidden thought. And it's also something that I really like to capture in Role playing games because mm-hmm. when you are dealing with buried secrets or lost secrets, you have to think some of them weren't lost, they were hidden intentionally.
1: Love that. Absolutely. You're touching on so many things that are just deep deep in my soul right there. Um, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Um, my mind's going in like ten different directions right now. Sorry, trying to recollect. <laughs> um yeah. And I think it's in Im- important to me too to explore that darkness because it makes me appreciate good things a lot more like yes. this sounds lame but there's an episode of South Park where Butters gets dumped and he's all sad about it but he's like you know i he doesn't mind being sad because it lets him know that you know he was really happy at one point and kind mm-hmm. of allows him to appreciate that and it's a very similar concept
0: yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely it's you know nothing
1: makes you appreciate light like darkness yeah exactly exactly so Hmm. very eloquently worded there yes
0: and then uh dm james has a question for you about your favorite lovecraft story um oh
1: the white ship it is um Not necessarily one of his scarier stories either. It's a very dreamy, ethereal, surreal story. Um, hmm. Oh, man, now I'm going in like 10 different directions again. Yeah, I'm going to go with that because it's an easier answer, I guess. Um, Hmm. I really like his exploration of dreamscape and those kind of things. Um, Oh, but I I could make a case for almost every story, though. It's kind of a hard one to choose i mean of course there's the class oh no no i'm changing my mind uh beyond the wall of sleep i have so much relatability to that story because i am also a madman and a dreamer
0: gotcha yeah (laughs) now one of the things that we talked a lot about um while we were at north texas uh we discovered that both of us have a a great appreciation for solomon kane yes as well and I, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it, but I was not expecting to have a conversation with you about Solomon Cain. Uh, so tell me a little bit about how uh, like, you first came into contact with that side of things.
1: Uh, ooh, how did I? So hmm, Solomon Kane specifically, uh, I didn't pay attention in school because i was reading savage sword of conan comics which got me on a long-rooted love of robert e howard's work because you know one thing obviously leads to another there and then i ended up with a howard uh horror anthology i think is what it is where there must have been some solomon kane stories and it's interesting because it's, it's a very unexplored time period as far as fantasy goes and the yeah. way the solomon kane stories take their own initiative and play with very traditional ideas like vampires in a way that i've never seen vampires played with before you know um and there's a very human element to them that i don't really find elsewhere mm. yeah is um, that a good answer? I don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you're right in that this is a, um, you know, so- Solomon Cain is set in the 1600s. Um, it's in this age of exploration, this age of sail, where people are exploring, or Europeans are exploring Africa and North America and South America uh, and and parts of Asia for the first time. So you have all of these opportunities for strangers in a strange land. You have things like gunpowder, but you also have technology like ships with decent sails. So your exploration goes from just like what's terrestrial to now you can take a ship and, and get to a faraway place. Not really quickly, but somewhat efficiently considering the time period so you have a lot of opportunities for exploration and uh you know stumbling on unfamiliar environments
1: very much so and also you know i love this i don't know i want to call it a struggle but uh Solomon Kane is a very dark figure doing mm. good things, and I think that's a very human thing. Is you know, a lot of the times, goodness isn't pretty. You know, he he's saving people and hunting down bad guys and all kinds of things, but it's not a happy go lucky story. You know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, it's very grim on a more relatable and human level that I think Age of Exploration and Age of Sail really kind of is easier for me to connect with, um, opposed to, like, I mean, I have such a deep love for the Conan stories, but I don't come from a Bronze Age civilization, you know? I can't really put myself there as easily as I can with Solomon Kane.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and Solomon Cain... He's so different from Conan. They're almost like they're like opposite sides of a coin, really, because Conan is very much a man driven by his passions. Uh he's he's almost pure id in a lot of ways. Yeah. But Solomon Kane is a very uh convicted, very religious, very driven individual. So he he kind of has this point at which he focuses all of his energy and all of his attention through, whereas Conan is driven by kind of the the whims at the moment. He becomes king because, you know, he he hates the guy that he killed and just, you know, I'm here. Why not be king?
1: Right. I totally agree. And I like to see, you know, little pieces of myself in both of their shoes. You know, Mm -hmm. I really do love like Conan's ambition and go-getter. Like, F all badass attitude, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then I also like the moral conviction of Cain. It's a very deep rooted thing to me. So, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Opposite sides of a very different coin, but you know, still, still, coin.
0: Well, we don't, we don't know a lot about Solomon Kane's backstory. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the Kane stories were written towards the end of Howard's life, so he doesn't get as fleshed out as maybe howard would have gone on to flesh him out but i personally i like to think that solomon kane was part of oliver cromwell's army that he was a Roundhead. that he was kicked out of england um and that's why you see him wandering so much you see him wandering through france through germany through africa
1: oh i love that yeah that makes sense to me too like I'm sticking with that theory. That's good stuff, right there.
0: (laughs) And I I can't take full credit for that. the The implications in there was that movie that came out in 2009. I haven't seen it, but (laughs) I think the implications in that movie is that he's a roundhead. But again, like it it just makes sense considering the time period and considering the the kind of person that we're dealing with in Solomon Kane.
1: That's very fair. I also, um, I haven't seen the whole movie, I guess. I, I watched about the first half of it and then my internet went out and I think I was watching it on Netflix or something and I, I just never returned to it. Um, I definitely reread the stories after watching that first bit though.
0: <laughs> yeah, but
1: I, I,
0: I really, again, like this period of history, I understand people have an aversion to black powder firearms and their fantasy. But this is something that I think more people should give a try just because there's so much room for, you can find yourself on a ship with, uh, you know, a, a, a roundhead from England or a, you know, a, a Jacobin from, or not Jacobin, a Jacobite from Scotland. Um, maybe a jacobin from france depending Mm -hmm. on your your time period that you're shooting for um and you know you can send these people to like a fictionalized africa or a fictionalized jamaica and have them encounter kind of strange beasts and strange monsters and strange people as part of their adventure and you know have that you know, have, have them try to build a new life for themselves in these weird places. Um, that's what role playing is all about, in my mind. It's it's starting from nothing and then building upon that and making something of yourself from nothing. So, you know, that you, you can do that very easily in this time period.
1: Very much so. And that's actually the basic premise that I have kind of based my own homebrew world of Belafollow around is uh, so most people don't really think about it. But a lot of Alaskan culture actually comes from that same era, like the island I live on is actually called Gagato, which, believe it or not, is not an indigenous Alaskan name. Um, <laughs> uh like all of these islands around here were you know explored and settled here and there and that kind of a thing and i think that the the black powder goes without much love in the fantasy genre as a whole even though it's relevance and prevalence throughout history has kind of, it's been there, but it gets neglected, and I'm not necessarily sure why. Um, like, we talked about it a little bit at North Texas RPG Con, and that it is a little too human and too relatable and modern in these kind of ways where it kind of goes against a lot of these disney fantasy tropes that we've become very used to. You know, it's a little bit harder and grittier to think about a man shooting you with a musket compared to a bow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of my friends, um, and and I apologize, uh guys in the basic experts gilded server, I can't remember who said it, because this was months and months ago. But one of my friends offered the explanation that introducing black powder means you're introducing innovation. You are essentially saying, yes. Right now, we have armor and pole arms and black powder existing together, but you've introduced this so eventually, uh, you know, the pole arm, the sword, the shield, these things are all going to go away now that you have introduced this thing. And so by not having it present, you don't create this feeling that, you know, this this fantasy world is ephemeral. It's eternal because that innovation is not present.
1: I could totally see that. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the coming of a a new world that's very unsure of itself and, you know, that's an interesting topic to play around with though, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I would agree with that. I mean, you know, I love Westerns and Mm. I love Westerns that are set in the late 1890s because you have these elements of the the 20th century infringing on the 19th century and civilization infringing on the west and this idea that uh the the glory of the dime novel western is fading in front of your eyes that's an interesting thing to explore but there are some people who also genuinely just want to explore the the pure undistilled unfaded um kind of fantasy of a certain period and and i think that's why a lot of people do end up being resistant to uh black powder in their fantasy even though i for one think it's an interesting addition
1: That's fair. It's very core to my games personally. Um, But uh, when you were saying that, that actually made me think, like maybe I personally feel a little bit of relatability towards that concept of the coming of a new age as we enter this whole cyber era we're coming into as a brave new world. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Oh, wow. So much good food for thought here. (laughs)
0: Now, now, another thing I wanted to discuss with you, um, you and I are very close together in age. Uh, I believe we're within a year of each other. I was born in 1995. Um, 96. Gotcha. Yep. So yeah, right there. Um, we are outliers. We're, we're very unique in that a lot of the people our age that are into gaming aren't into the games that we're into. Uh we, we go to North Texas and we bring down the average age significantly, just Proudly. the two of us and then uh Ben.
1: Kinda. Yeah, honestly though. I mean I'm this last year I saw a lot more young folks than I have in previous years, which I think is a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, but I agree, uh I'm not sure why or how I got drawn into this old school scene but god I'm so happy to be here honestly like I it's it feels just so much more familiar to the the ethos of fantasy that I know like I love sword and sorcery that is I guess my genre of choice but I don't know a lot of young people that care about it honestly everything just comes down to J.R.R. token style fantasy the dragon lance and then you know you get a very uh marvel-esque style of fantasy that's super prevalent amongst people our age and these mm-hmm. two things just don't appeal to me it's um right. yeah I, I just i can't get with it i like grim gritty and then my background as a war gamer i care about the game being played like go in extract loot don't die come Mm -hmm. out there's an expectation I find I don't like playing with a lot of modern gaming groups my age because it seems that the expectation is maybe you will die instead of maybe you will live and these are very uh, there's a weird dichotomy between the two
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it it's a matter of kind of like danger being a in the kind of games that you and I enjoy danger is a consequence of poor decision making In modern games, danger is when it's appropriate to the story.
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I get a little bit of a reputation as a, a ruthless character killer because of that. <laughs> but like, I'm happy to. You deserved that dead stamp. Cha-chunk. Yes. <laughs> you deserved that. You failed. And hmm. I also like, I have a I have a weird opinion on this in that I do believe in winning and failing in D&D. Okay. Either you came out alive with more money than you went in or you don't. You all died in the dungeon dungeon. dungeon you lost sorry do better next time dice gods weren't in your favor sucks to suck i don't know what to tell you
0: yeah Yeah, and it's it's also one of those things where you fail and because you failed in this way you know next time not to do that
1: oh the feedback loop is essential that's the game yeah And, and
0: like, I've talked about this on the show before, but that's why early levels are so lethal in old school games because that's the, you know, that's the part of Dark Souls where you die over and over again so that you learn
1: how to actually play the video game, the you, get good mentality. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. You you die over and over again because now you know. Okay, there's a trap there. Uh, I need to look up when I walk into the dungeon. Uh, I need to not try to charge headlong into battle as a wizard. You know, I need, you know, all these different things that you learn just from dying over and over again.
1: Right. And I live by that mentality. Like, you know, I'm kind of the forever DM of my group here that I play with, but you know, I, I take pride in like how, far this play group that i've been playing with for a couple years now has come i always kind of brag about them like no no no. my players are experienced they know what they're doing like if there was a competitive scene in any way of DD, my players would smoke most fifth edition players they don't know what they're doing they're a bunch of bumbling fools making jokes no these guys are serious they know what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) and i'm proud of them like they've accomplished actual things because i think there is that inherent risk reward factor that kind of plays into that of like you know if you know that you are at death's door at all points in time that reward is so juicy it's so sweet it feels real it feels meaningful mm-hmm. and i think that shared group experience of meaning it's priceless that's the real gem for me
0: yeah now getting into some of the strategic area Ooh. uh when it comes to i you and me and, and other people like us who want our generation and the younger generations to see this style of play, a lot of the talk online has been around this being the old school way to play. That that word old or old school gets thrown around a lot. And for a lot of people, that's a sign of quality. I, yes. I think... Just that, just those three letters, OLD, that in and of itself is turning a lot of people away from this style of play. Do do you, would would you agree at all
1: with that? Uh, I've got a lot of opinions on that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think old school is a cool name if you're a break dancer. Um, I don't think it works well in selling it to a younger crowd. Word Mm -hmm. that works really well, retro people love retro because then it's a fad then you're a hipster you know you can get in on some secret ancient arcane lore that people don't know about anymore but an old school game no why wouldn't I, why would i play halo 1 if i could play halo 3 i guess is right. the mentality i see a lot in modern modern people young people <laughs>
0: hmm. now what about the word vintage
1: uh antique shop <laughs> is what comes to mind i think vintage is fine but it's also i think a little bit self-limiting because when i think of vintage i think of true to the air. now if i was running b1 b2 these feel like vintage modules to me but mm-hmm. if i was running a more modern old school thing that came out in the past you know a couple of years i don't know if that's necessarily applicable but this might just be semantics and you know stupid stuff like that Mm-hmm. Oh no, I like the word vintage though. it's a fun, hot selling word. I could see that working. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah.
0: the reason I, I like the word vintage, I do like retro. Um, but I, I, li- I like the word vintage, and this is just from like me as a whiskey drinker. I hear that word and mm. I think it's been refined.'s yep. it's been it's been aged to perfection. It's been perfected over time. And I don't know if that's something that other people my age think, but that's what that word kind of brings about in my mind is something that um, is essentially timeless or something that has gotten better as it's gotten older.
1: There is definitely a appeal to vintage in that sense. I would wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, it, yeah. I had a really good train of thought that completely derailed and kind of blew up on the sidelines there. Um, yeah, vintage works. It. I'm trying to formulate what I'm trying to say here, because there's a certain uh, weirdness I get towards vintage, and I'm not sure why. It maybe. Let me ponder that for a second. I think I'm onto something. I just I'm not there yet.
0: I, I might be picking up on what you're kind of, kind of your, your train of thought here. There is um, the one down the downside of the word vintage is there's almost a snootiness to it. Yes.
1: Yes. I, I've been trying to not say elitist, but it, it kind of, I don't know. Vintage is just kind of like, okay, your vintage fine wine. So what a connoisseur you I'm are. <laughs> um, and i think i choose the word retro personally only because it's just a hot selling ticket thing like people have such a deep love for like stranger things and back to the golden age of all x y and z that kind of stuff and it's you know i I, but i personally have more liking I, i take more of a liking myself to vintage i just don't see me being able to sell a game as vintage does that make sense yeah It seems more niche, niche, Mm -hmm. whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and I I think the other tactic that could be attempted is kind of remove that label entirely. I know there are certain people who will see something that is, uh, you know, reminiscent of ODND or ADND first edition and and want you to cite that source and want you to kind of celebrate your historiography there but i think for a kind of greater percentage if you present this as something it, it's not tied to anything in the past this is kind of like this is a new evolution of gaming with you know the, the quiet part being inspired by older editions, going back to some of the original roots. But if you take that label off of it, you take a label off of it entirely and just say, here's a game. Here's a game that we're going to play in this particular way. I, I think the strength of the gameplay itself will be enough of a selling point for people to try it.
1: Wholeheartedly agree. Yes, absolutely. um I You said some stuff about uh, in the video you posted yesterday about your own RPG journey about kind of disassociating yourself from very specific movements with, you know, within the gaming scene. I think in a very similar way that calling yourself an old school game is, I don't want to say pandering to that audience, but it is kind of like, Hey, you're familiar with this, you know, what's going on. And uh, like, realistically, how different is your RPG going to be? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. is this just another kind of heartbreaker situation or what? But I I think with what you're doing right now is just branding as something new, I think has a lot of potential to it because then it's not, am I trying to appeal to the old school audience? Am I trying to appeal to young people? Am I trying to bridge the gap between the two or am I trying to produce a good game? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, we are selling a product, oh, for but sure. at the same time, you know, th- this is a creative endeavor and it's also about you know creating something of quality. So yes, you want to think about the audience that you're appealing to, but you, I, I think more than anything, just want to make the best version of the product you possibly can when you approach it with kind of that, that purity of mission, not to sound like, Uh, a fortune cookie or something like that Um, you know you you just have this idea of i am going to make the best game that i possibly can and i'm going to present it to you as this is my game even if there are elements pilfered from older editions or older ideas i mean you know richie blackmore said it best when he said you either have to be a genius or a clever thief
1: as a oh, that's a beautiful quote. Yeah, absolutely. That's another one going on the wall after this. Heck yeah, that's who said that?
0: Richie Blackmore, the uh, lead guitarist for uh, Deep Purple and Rainbow and several other that. kind of bands of the 60s and
1: 70s. It's a beautiful quote. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. That's yeah, you're on to something here.
0: <laughs> and like if you do want to cite your sources, I mean, you know gygax had his appendix in you can stick that stuff in the back of your book and say you know i was heavily inspired by uh first edition ad and d and you know dungeon crawl classics and stuff like that but you don't have to put that front and center you don't have to bludgeon people over the head with uh this is how gaming was before you kids ruined it you can just lead with this is a game this is a good game and this is how it's played and by the way there's all this stuff that i was inspired by here that you can look at as well.
1: Right. I think that's the best way forward personally. And I actually really like that idea. That's probably what I'm going to be doing because right now I'm kind of in the middle of producing my first RPG product. I'm not writing a game system by any means, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know i hopefully around halloween time meaning halloween um i'm gonna be putting up my first kickstarter for a big old adventure kind of ambiance i guess of a bunch of different little nasty horror adventures and all kinds of good dungeon crawl stuff so i think that's what i'm gonna do like i don't even want to market for a system at this point it's too divisive like the hardest thing for me coming in like i don't have a or i i guess coming into role-playing games i didn't really have a good footpath to follow in. Like, I didn't own the AD&D rulebooks. I wasn't there for BX. You know, I didn't know, why would I pick second edition over first edition? I didn't know. There's so many jumping off points, and it almost creates, like, a culture of snobbery. I hate to say it, but, like, it's hard to get into old school gaming. Mm-hmm. It really is. And so I just... Like gaming language has become borderline universal in my opinion, to some extent or another, especially like within older school stylish games. Uh, I just want to erase the labels completely and create good content, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and when you, when you take away those labels, then you also take away this kind of notion of brand loyalty and you, you essentially like there, there's a good and a bad to doing it. Cause you take away um, things that might turn other people off, but you also take away kind of an insurance policy that a certain type of consumer will buy this game because I've attached it to this thing that they're loyal to. Um, and really what you do at that point is you put forward a product that has to stand on its own merits.
1: Yes. Oh, you stole the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I'm trying to do here. Heck yeah, Ryan. Killing it. Yes, exactly. And uh, isn't that the goal, though? Like, I don't want to piggyback off another person's success. If I'm going to put in, you know, thousands of hours of writing and drawing and that kind of a stuff, like, I want to do it on my own merits. And you know what, if I don't sell very well, that's okay, because at least I'm producing a thing I want to make. And is very true and loyal to my own gaming ideology. And like how you, in your video that you posted up yesterday about your own RPG story, it's all about that slow kind of clockworking spiral down towards this central idea of what gaming really is. And I mean, I think there is an objective reality to that, like you were saying, and then I think mm-hmm. there's also like, what do you have to add to that reality, you know? Yeah. And I think finding that middle ground is sweet spot stuff.
0: <laughs> Man, it, this has been a great conversation. I, I, like, I'm like. i so glad that we were able to to get together and do this because it, it, it seems like there's a lot of things that we're kind of uh, simpatico on here. And I, I, I really... don't know what that means.
1: Simpatico. We're in sync here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally agree.
0: And I mean, like, I had talked to you about, uh, you know, working on the, the project that I'm working on on Night Haven. And now I'm just even more excited to, like, present ideas to you as I. We
1: should be, like, good now. friends in the future. I yes, think, sure. I, I genuinely think this. Like, you're a really cool dude, Ryan. Like, yeah, I think we too. share a lot of the same. Uh, gaming philosophy and like, you know, you're, you're a hardcore bad mother, mother you know, I'm flip flipping F there. Uh, oh boy. Okay. I, love that, <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Once again, I, I don't know if you're trying to kick me off here, but thank you so much for having me. I'm on. not this trying to kick awesome you off. Just conversation. Yet. Like I'm like, I was sweating bullets when we started mm-hmm. this and now I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is great.
0: <laughs> but man, I, and and this might be kind of a big topic to um, this might be kind of a big topic to to drop in kind of as we're reaching the end of our time here. Um, but I did kind of recently put out this uh, article on Substack about what makes good RPG art, and so I wanted to kind of ask your opinion on that. Um, not necessarily on my article, but in your opinion, what makes for good RPG art?
1: All the things you listed. <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head, honestly. I don't really have too much more to add. The only things I will say is that a lot of the things there is objectively good and bad art. like one of yeah. my uh, one of the best draftsmen in the world, Jeff Watts, like there's artists that people study and there's artists people forget. and there's a there's a truth to that. Um, I think, Forgot where I was going with that. Um, could you repeat the question? I I mind blanked a little. Oh, just uh, like
0: what makes good RPG art, in your opinion?
1: Being able to evoke feeling, emotion, and these kind of things are important. I think being able to relate an idea is much more important. What is the information you are trying to convey? How yep. best can this image aid? the usefulness of this book or project or product, you know? Um, I think a lot of the times art kind of gets thrown to the corners like, hey, it's a cool, pretty thing. What can it help the DM do? What words can it save, you know, in the writing process? Um, what makes good RPG art? Things that makes the DM's job easier. I yep. guess, <laughs> um, and I think that's totally underutilized. Like you see some of it in DCC, honestly, weird, weird poll, but I think Mordheim did it really well back in the day, old GW project, because mm-hmm. it conveyed the entirety of like, what is this really about? What are we doing here? I think good art of course can be subjective or whatever, but why is it there? Right. is it just there to fill space or is it meaningful intentional and purposeful and mm-hmm. i think that's the big difference for me
0: yeah and i i have not talked about this um I, I think at all on my show um but i do have very strong opinions and thoughts on this kind of ai art thing oh yeah. happening recently um and and what i will say in in conjuncture in, or that's not the right word in, in you know going along with what we're talking about here, um, if you believe that RPG art is there just to look kind of nice and to have these like mannequins displaying the uh, costumes of the kinds of people you can have in your role-playing game, if that's your idea of good fantasy art, then you might as well use ai art because all you're only exploring one dimension of art but for people who need more than that for people who need emotion and motion and storytelling and being able to capture an entire uh moment and all of the things that led up to this moment and all the things that happened after this one moment that's captured in front of you that's not something a computer can ever replicate because, and and again, I, I don't know how well this appeals to non-religious people, but I believe that like J.R.R. Tolkien said, we create because we are created. That's something uniquely human,
1: now, this
0: ability to cool. create art wow. in this way. And just because we can create machines that can make a facsimile of this does not mean that we'll be able to create machines that can do this exactly as we do
1: it. Beautifully spoken. Uh, Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on all of that. And as, you know, initially, I was really thrown off by this whole AI art thing. A lot of people were. And realistically, I've been seeing a lot of up-and-coming, potential, and prospect artists dropping like flies left and right, and I think uh, people are gonna hit me with sticks for this. I think it's one of the best things that has happened to the art scene, not because of what it produces, but it it cuts out a lot of the false incentives. If you wanted to be a rock star, piss off. You know that's that's not what it's about anymore. You it. It really is whittling it down to people who have a good why. Why are you doing this? Why are you making art? It's hard. You know, I'm nowhere close to where I want to be. I'm not at that Loomis, Decker, Geiger level of creativity, but it's made me want it more than I've ever wanted anything in my life. It's the ultimate competition. A machine can do it faster, it can do it better, but it can't do it like I do. I have images in my head that I need to extract and it's hard work it's it's not fun a lot of the times, you know? It's mm-hmm. I've been pulling like 20-hour days for the last week. It's maddening, but I love it. It gives me purpose, and it, I don't know. This, It's been the best thing that has happened to my career, and I don't think I would have ever taken my art career seriously without the invention of AI art. Mm-hmm. Weird take, but. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, it, it really is. It's one of these things that kind of, you know pushes away the pretenders yeah can you can you get past the hump that there's a machine that can kind of sort of do or again i I don't want to make anyone feel bad about their work here but it's hard right (laughs) there's a machine that you feel can do exactly what you're doing um then maybe you need to step up your game
1: yeah it is. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the ultimate competitor. <laughs> and it's cheaper than you. There's very few reasons like like you were saying earlier, if you just want costumes, go with AI art. Like, I hate to say it, but you know, it's, what are you really looking for? I don't think you're going to get a lot of the same conveying of information or intention or meaning or storytelling a lot of the times but you know if you're just looking for fun looking page filler yeah it's great <laughs> i don't use it i don't I, i've i never used ai anything in my life but i mean i guess maybe like spell check does that count i don't yes. know but yeah like it's uh, <laughs> well, uh, interesting topic though <laughs> we, we do was... have a uh one,
0: one more question
1: that we need Ooh. to end on here. Uh, and I will tell you, the
0: answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be.
1: Eelon, mm, if okay. you could put
0: anything on a t-shirt,
1: what would it be? Does it have to be my own like thing or just anything? Anything. Nature respects courage. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a Terrence McKenna quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that would be it. Or like, I don't know, I heart Ozempic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think I'm sticking with my answer, though. Mm-hmm. Nature respects courage. Gotcha. Words to live by right there. <laughs> absolutely. 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 I was so nervous about this talk. You've become like one of my best friends. This is great. Power of technology.
0: <laughs> yeah, I again and it's it's one of those things, you know, I I talk so much about this convention on the show, but you know, really like thank God for North Texas because it brings together so many people and without it, you and I wouldn't have met each other. So, true. You know, Honestly. it's really like it really is the greatest convention in in the world.
1: It really is. Honestly, like I have met some of my best friends, my mentors in North Texas. Realistically is probably the real backbone of my career. It's where I've gotten to meet all these people. It's given me so many opportunities. It's the one thing my wife and I look forward to every year. It's the greatest place on earth. Uh, like I, I have nothing but the highest of regards. It's filled with good people that really care about what they're doing. It's not some Comic-Con bullshit where everyone's just showing off their fancy costumes. It's not a bunch of people hacking you know, stupid products left and right. It seems like everyone is there with some kind of a unified purpose of enjoying a weird niche hobby. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It's not about all the surrounding extracurriculars, you know, and it's not about these wait in line to go meet some fancy hotspot person from 20 years ago. It's like, mm-hmm. go talk to people. They're at the bar right there. Like yeah. they're, they're right. Go introduce yourself. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, I love it. It's, I don't know. It's uh, North Texas RPG con is one of the most impactful things that's ever hit my life. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: man this this has been a great conversation and like if if i didn't have to go uh check on my daughter like i I would love to like keep this going for another hour or something like that we do this again
1: we should yeah absolutely and i hope i didn't ramble or give you know some stupid spicy take that people want to hit me with sticks for or you know whatever like thank you for having me on this is awesome you're the best ryan you're the best you're the best. <laughs> I love it, dude. Also, you have a killer T-shirt. So there we thank go. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't know
0: if you guys have been able to see it, but this is the the T-shirt that I am wearing tonight.
1: Meow. <laughs> I love it, dude.
0: Now, okay, guys, so that is going to do it for uh, Roland Bones uh, this evening. Keelan, thank you again for coming on. Um, we will uh, we will talk uh, continuously offline. Uh, yeah. After the show, and we will do this again
1: sometime. Absolutely. I am going to hold you to it at gunpoint. So, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night, Ryan. Thank you once again.
0: And you too. And uh, just to let everyone know, next week, uh, I will be joined by another uh, young person in kind of this old school uh, space. It is uh, one Ryan Heffelfinger. AKA the curator on Twitter. Uh, he and I are going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. Another Ryan in the hobby. Um, so we will be uh, you know, just talking all about a, a lot of similar stuff that we talked about tonight. We'll be talking about the games that he's working on and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So until then, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.
1: That was awesome.